On today's show, what business do the Cavs have left to do this offseason? And is Jared Allen involved in that business? Let's dive in. You are Locked On Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. The music you heard on the way in is from our friends at Astro Radio. This episode is produced by the one and only Jake Stevens. I'm Chris Manning. That's Evan Damerel. And today's episode, by the way, is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet. Up to $200 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com backslash lockdown. We're going to start with Jared Allen today. Then we're going to transition to lineups the Cavs could use this season. And then we're going to look ahead a little bit. What business do the Cavs have left to do? Do they have spots to fill? Are there other trades to make? We'll, we'll speculate rapidly and salaciously. Uh, let's start with Jared Allen, Evan. Mark Stein the other day in a Substack reported, I'm going to report it, not that there's like active trade talks, not that there's anything concrete, but here's what he wrote. Quote, on the same subject, he's referring to, to the Cavs, there have been some whispers this week that the Cavaliers are more open to trading Jared Allen than advertised for the obvious reasons. He appeared to struggle at the moment at various points of the Cavaliers' five-game exit to the Knicks. So, Evan, I'm going to frame it this way. What kind of deal to you would make it worth it to trade Jared Allen if you're Cleveland? If if there's a deal out there, if you're convinced that, hey, these playoffs last year told us something about him, what what kind of deal are you looking for if you're Cleveland? So, full disclosure, we talked about this a lot, just from the pure lens of just the Cavs trading Jared Allen and you and I having this discussion, like, you and I are in agreement, and I still feel this way, that the Cavs likely just cannot get a return that is comparable to what the value Jared uh, Allen pro- or provides to them right now. But if I'm just looking for a package, you're sure you're satisfied with Max Trust and George Yang and um, Ty Jerome and like those three guys kind of bolstering your shooting rotation. But if you can find a permanent answer, small forward... Yeah, you definitely uh, would pick up the phone for that call. Um, maybe it's a more of a tweener, three, four guy, but that's a thing. Or at least gives you the ammunition to, I don't want to say recoup the loss from what you gave up for Donovan Mitchell, but reloads your uh, magazine a little bit so you can maybe fire off a clip to maybe make a move if you're Cleveland um, to go and obtain that uh, more tangible uh, permanent solution at the wing spot just because you're then just saying like, okay, we're going to punt on this decision of Allen and Mobley and just stick strictly with Mobley, like at the five, I would assume in this scenario, or maybe he's the four and you have another big there as two, but you really want to lean into the modern aspect of basketball then. And that, that is a perimeter oriented offense. It's a guy who's very, very consistent from the perimeter and you explore those options, but it's also a premium position. And I don't know if Jared Allen can get you that much. Yeah, that's, I think, the the question, right? It's like you're looking for, a, you need to get a center back. I don't think Damian Jones is good enough to be your starting five, and I don't think Evan Mobley is ready for the grind of playing 82 games of five. I don't think that would be necessary. He's at that point. He may, may get there someday. I'd expect him to get there someday. I don't think that that's kind of in line with, with where he's at right now, ahead of the New Year 3, unless he adds a bunch of weight or something like that, you know, come come the fall 
so like then you get into deals where it's like okay like are you if you take a slight step back at center can you get a wing who really moves the needle the pelicans have been a team that we know have called an island mm-hmm. and if you go to that framework it's like you're not getting trey murphy i don't i don't think in that deal you don't have the assets to make new orleans who already has a ton of assets to trade with to do so with they don't need more picks necessarily like you're not going to get Murphy back to take on Jonas Valanciunas. Then you're also in the spot where, like, are you paying Jonas Valanciunas for, like, ages 32 to 35 because he has one year left in his deal? It's, like, a really complicated value question because, like, I think on paper we would say, yeah, turn Jared Allen into wing. You figure out center. There's a lot of cheap centers out there you can make do, and your roster could get overall better. I think in practice it's harder to find, like, a perfect Jared Allen trade when you, when you flip around there a little bit. Yeah, and that's... um. The, the thought process in of itself and to your point like new orleans is intriguing just because they have some of those younger players that could fit the mold but like you said trey murphy is off the table uh the baseline of the package is Jonas valanciunas which at least on paper uh, we, we talked about this a lot too like offensively like valanciunas doesn't give you a huge shooting bump but he's a stretchier big at least compared to allen and the issue in of it that that is um, one Allen's a lot more mobile. He's a lot more athletic than Valanciunas is, and there's a noticeable defensive drop when you could just compare the two players side by side with one another in terms of impact. And sure, Valanciunas has never played next to Evan Mobley. There could be some differences there, but like stylistically and just like uh, I'm trying to think of the word here, pliability. Uh, that's the kind of what I'm thinking of. It's just like the. the Allen is just gives you a little bit more of an oomph and it's just a weird spot the Cavs are in because you always think about how Jared Allen says the lights were too bright for us and now everyone's just been using that quote quote nonstop for a lot of things and at least according to Mark Stein as you had noted like the Cavs maybe feel like okay maybe the lights were a little too bright for him maybe he just isn't really built for this isn't ready because he did get roughed up quite a bit by Mitchell Robinson Isaiah Hartenstein and especially Josh Hart and yeah, I think that's an area of concern. Um, and maybe this is just a, something you put a pin in to see where things are at now that you've added a little a little bit more support on the back ends of the rotation, just so you have more than maybe four or five, five and a half or six viable players, uh, just like in a high intensity situation. Sure. And then it's like, look, you look at other teams. Dallas is a team that I, I'm pretty sure had interest in and Allen, you know, like it's Tim Hardaway Jr. Plus, you know, if they if they wanted to say, hey, we'll get Jared Allen, that's our aggressive move. We're not going to go to Aiden. And it's like you get the draft rights to Derek Lively because he hasn't signed his contract yet. And you get Tim Hardaway Jr. Like, hey, you're going to you're you're going into luxury tax at that point. So that's like a, a tricky part of it. And two, like that doesn't like really do it for me. Like there's not there's not like an obvious deal to me for a team that needs a center and can give you exactly what you want. Um mm-hmm. I'm I'm pretty sure at some point like this will just like die or like there just won't something won't happen or you know like there will be a maybe a trade we don't see comes out mm-hmm. of nowhere. I just don't I just can't find like even if they are open to it, which I think makes sense. And I don't think they should like be closed off to it. I don't think he's untradeable. I just can't find like a trade that gets them a center back and a wing that moves the needle, especially because they don't have the assets. So like it's because like theoretically you might need to deal extra stuff with Allen to get the wing and the center. And it's like, I just can't, I can't find a deal where the Cavs can get what they would want, but not have the assets. It's, it's, so it's like you made these moves, run it back with what you have. And I think you're okay, at least for another year. And, and if Allen's, 
bad again in the playoffs next year, then you know what? Hey, then you know maybe you you just kind of get more aggressive about moving him. Yeah, uh, this is perhaps a conversation, like you said, for next offseason. Maybe when maybe Allen's contract is a little bit more movable. Maybe there's more players that are just materialized in terms of, avail- of availability on the trade market as well. Um, we'll see. Also, I think a lot of it does hinge on. Do you view Evan Mobley more as a four or do you view him more as a five? Um, like if he's just a five for you, you don't expect him to have that shooting upside, but he just gives you otherworldly things elsewhere. And like you're like, OK, he is our guy. We will build around like a big three of Mitchell, Garland and Mobley. Um, Alan, thanks for being around so long. But that's when you approach the conversation. And as you said, like Tim Hardaway Jr. doesn't do much for me. Uh, Houston's another team I think of too, just because they reportedly cleared out all that cap space for Brooke Lopez. And then Brooke Lopez ended up going back to Milwaukee. So there's that, but the Rockets probably don't want to give up any of their young players. They're obviously not going to give up any of the guys they just signed. Um, And again, I just don't know how the toxicity of Dylan Brooks in that locker room would go. And there's that, or you could look at a team like Oklahoma City or maybe San Antonio if Thunder view Chet as a straight power forward and they don't want to play him at the center and they put a traditional center next to him, or San Antonio views Wemby in the same regard too. But again, but what that's... What's, that's, yeah, that's what centers are you that, getting back? That's the thing. is like It gets tricky because neither of those teams really have enough that make the juice worth the squeeze. Unless you somehow finagle a three-team deal, and then that just becomes even more convoluted and just an even bigger thought exercise. Uh, just to consider because it's it, there's a the, way too many moving parts for me to like kind of like put this together uh, on the fly. All right, after this, we're gonna touch on post free agency lineups that I think they will feature Jared Allen to some degree. We'll talk about that right after this. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel, the official sports book of Locked On. Take your first swing. At Betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your money on your first bet account in bonus bets. You get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's 200 You can spend betting everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to get the first home run. All of that is on an app that is safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. There's no better place to play to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. So sign up today and visit FanDuel.com slash lockdown to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash lockdown. FanDuel, an official partner of Major League Baseball. All right, let's move on to free lineups. Evan, we talked about this a little bit when we talked about Max Struess the other day. Mm-hmm. But I would suspect that Struess is going to be the free, the starting small, the starting three. So I think if we're looking ahead to next year, here's what I would expect to be the starting five. Garland, Mitchell, Struess, Mobley, Allen. Mm-hmm. What do you think? That, that was a segue I, back to you. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, we'll see how the, com- the competition goes in training camp. Maybe J.B. Bickerstaff prioritizes defense and thinks Struess is better utilized as like, not a plug-and-play option, but a guy who's your sixth or seventh man alongside Karis LeVert, but that, that's a conversation we can have in a second, but I, I agree, just from a pure shooting aspect, this is something we touched on when we really dove deep into Max Strauss as well, is 
He adds that depth and dimension that the Cavs need when they play two bigs with Mobley and Allen. And also, as a guy who can be that safety valve, if one of Mitchell or Garland is getting a ton of defensive pressure and the other one is maybe struggling to get it going, like he's a guy who at least keeps defenses on and stretches things back out. And unless Okoro somehow just becomes like an absolute sniper from the perimeter, right now, in pencil and on paper, it's Max Struss heading into the start of the season. And you kind of just get creative and fluid at that, where he's probably more than fine being the fifth banana in this uh, offensive hierarchy to start the game. And he will take advantage of anybody uh, getting attention in the paint and just kind of float around on the perimeter. And also, yeah, he can cut at times, too. And he plays better than I think people give him credit for defensively. But, yeah, I I agree. Like, that's their starting five. So give me a give me a five man lineup you want to see. Okay, so this will involve Karis Levert, but. Uh, I am definitely intrigued by George Niang quite a bit. Um, so the lineup would be, let's just say Donovan Mitchell, Karis LeVert, Max Struss, George Niang, and let's go with Evan Mobley just for that passing upside. And it's just a lot of spacing. It gives Karis LeVert a little bit more comfort to attack the basket and maybe not be as much of a shooter as he was last season. And LeVert at least has the vision to kick out. And you have guys like Niang and Struss taking advantage of that, or even like Mitchell thriving in a lot of spread pick and roll stuff with like Niang or even Mobley. Like there's a lot of versatility and creativity in that lineup that you could do a lot of cool stuff with like off ball actions, just with the guys uh, that are not handling the ball. That's what off ball means clearly, but like engage in that offensive flow like that. So I would, I like that. I think we're where I think that gets interesting is who you, who, how that lineup defends because that lineup is very much tilted towards the offensive end. I get, mm-hmm. I think the why you would do it. Yang is like gonna like he's gonna try, but he's not a good defender. Struce is gonna like really try, and I think is a better defender than Yang, but he's not locked down. Levert was like fine last year, but he's not like a, a lockdown guy. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's on the big. It's on whether it's Allen or Mobley. Like it's on the big in those things. I'm curious to see how much JB Bickerstaff will be comfortable doing some of that that to me is kind of an interesting consideration with this roster because like these are they're doing a different kind of thing with the kind of personnel I have than they had last year and I'm really curious just to see okay how offensive how offense heavy do they lean I'm really curious Mm -hmm. to see like what what they do in that sense yeah it'll be interesting to see like how off because that 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 was part of the approach at least um heading into this offseason clearly like the Cavs didn't go get more rugged defenders with zero shooting upside like they got guys that provide you a clear need and I can kind of lump Ty Jerome into this too where if you just really want to empower Karis Levert as the uh, lead guard and you just fully want to lean into offense like you could run a lineup of like Jerome at one it's positionless so it'd be Levert, Jerome, Niang, Struss and then Mobley and you're asking a lot of Evan Mobley defensively there but like that is so much spacing so much shooting and like if you have belief in Karis Levert as your lead six man as your lead guard off the bench and also like you have enough of belief in his playmaking and vision like that that could create a lot of fun wrinkles or using Evan Mobley as an offensive hub with a ton of off-ball action and screens and things like that like there's a lot of fun things you could do with that but like you said how comfortable is J.B. Bickerstaff playing a not super defensive lineup at uh, some moments in a game what I where my brain first went with this is thinking about how you get Mitchell to like a Utah kind of era Mitchell and like set him up in certain ways. So I think it would be Struess and Yang, And then I would go Mobley. Then the fifth one becomes a question. And I, I think I might, let's just say Okoro here for, for the sake of 
Mm-hmm. Me, getting an Isaac Corbin chain, but also getting a, d- a defender on the floor. And like that lineup definitely skews a little bit small. I might go Allen over Mobley there just for Allen statistically is a little bit better of a rebounder. I think a big thing for Mobley near through will be the rebounder, um, will be him stepping up as a, as a physical presence inside. I think where I think I wanted to see how much they just say, hey, let's put a ton of shooting around Mitchell and let him cook. And that's like the easiest way to do it, just put those two guys on the floor together. Put a defender at the rim that can that can be a lob threat, and then get either mm-hmm. defender or another shooter and a ball handler. I I th- I'm, I'd like to just see them let Mitch empower Mitchell kind of in in a different way than we saw last year because the setup last year for him was very different than it was in Utah. It was the best year of his career statistically, but it was a transition for him. And I wonder how much more you can get out of him if you empower him in a way where he than the was Utah. And that to me is is the way to do it. Yeah, I guess I didn't think of it like that because I was just so fixated on the idea of empowering Karis LeVert as your sixth yeah, man. But like Donovan Mitchell this, being like the lead this, guard this, with bench look, units. This, 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 this roster is about, it's about empowering Mitchell. It's about empowering Mobley. It's about empowering Garland. Everyone else will have moments where they get empowered, but the, to the degree they'll get yeah, empowered, it's not mine. even, it's, yeah, it's, there, there's a hierarchy here, brother. Like it, it is about Mitchell and Garland and then. I think I'm just like so fixated on the shiny new toys and like Karis LeVert getting that new contract. I'm like, okay, there's there's a little juice here. Maybe there's some beat on this bone. And I think I'm just intrigued and maybe mystified a little bit as well. Just like what we saw from Karis LeVert at the end of the season. I don't know. I'm, it's it's a long off season. I've been thinking about this team more than I probably care to admit. But the the Mitchell aspect's interesting too because, like you said, this was his best year statistically. And you, what really just popped for me was just the playmaking aspect and just like how good he was and just pick and roll or spread PNR. And like you said, adding shooting is a wrinkle. Like we talked about this a little bit in the Max Truss episode and a little bit when we talked about Niang as well, like emulating a lot of what worked for Mitchell in Utah is a recipe for success because sure, statistically, his last season with Cleveland was his best season overall. Um but there's a lot more just like tangible like things that yeah this really worked for donovan mitchell in year one two three and so on with utah let's bring it over so there's that comfort and familiarity and two maybe makes offense easier for everybody else too like jb Bickerstaff, put this bug in my ear it's a copycat league and why not go back and copy some stuff like shoot jb Bickerstaff's copy stuff from what uh flip saunders used to do with kevin garnett and the minnesota timberwolves with evan mobley sometimes too so like he can he can dig deep as a basketball junkie and like that that would be a smart way to go about things and you could also just flip garland into that mitchell spot too just like surrounding him with shooting and letting him not maybe just be like the guy who has to do everything at times on offense would make his life so much easier and also probably not fatigue him so much either uh i yeah i think that's all fair. all right after this what business is left to be done All right, Evan, I ask you what comes to mind. What do the Cavs still have to do? What stands out? So there are two open roster spots on this team right now. We'll, we'll see how Summer League goes. Maybe Isaiah Mobley goes from an RFA on a two-way deal to a guy who fills one of those last roster spots. Again, we'll see. But we talked about this the other day, um, just in terms of like maybe signings. Like I... If Danny Green wants to come back, like that makes sense for me. You need to add maybe one more vet to this locker room that is one comfortable with not playing every night, two is not completely overwhelmed when he has to play, and three like just provides you valuable experience and a wealth of knowledge. Just because this is a 
a Cavs team that got quite a bit younger in terms of just like how they're working on the margins now. And other than that, like their their options are kind of limited financially. So you kind of look at your options and just say like, yeah, we can take a stab at a vet and just add him for the vibes, quote unquote. But other than that, you're just heading towards training camp with maybe one or two open roster spots. And you just kind of keep evaluating what the team has internally and maybe make more of a decision towards the start of the regular season. I am curious to see if there are maybe trades that they explore because I think Niang is going to eat Dean Wade's roster minutes for the most part. Like he he's going to be ahead of Dean Wade. You gave him more money than Dean Wade. You prioritized him in free agency. I think he's going to jump ahead of Dean Wade in the hierarchy. So do you look at using Dean Wade's salary to go make a trade for another wing and keep yourself under luxury tax? Do you take Sam Merrill's contract with the non-guarantee and use that for the same purpose, just for, for matching purposes, and, and go get another salary? I'm curious to see like if there are other things that they do just to kind of improve the roster in that way, because they don't have a ton of trade. They don't need to do it right now. But if you were going to, say, build a trade to get into like how they're going to improve the roster, get another wing. It's going to be via trade more likely. You look at the free agency market now, Torrey Craig signed with, with uh, Chicago on a two-year deal. Uh, Robin Lopez mm-hmm. is reunited with Brooke. Like you're getting into the very bare minimums of free agency at this point. Like there's trades to happen. There's, em- there's very large star trades to happen. Those are not going to involve Cleveland. Um, you know, you're getting into just the bare bones of, of free agents at this point, like uh, minimum guys, maybe small exception guys, veterans like Danny Green, like, you know, Jeff Green's out there, um, like, but you're getting into just very bare bones stuff. So is there a trade that they would explore? Did he go back somewhere? Jeff Green signed a one-year deal with the Rockets. Oh, why? Green. Tough. Um, Good for him, I guess. Did he get more than Uncle Jeff? Oh, he got six, oh, he got, well, he got six million dollars, so good for him. Collect all the money you can from the Houston Rockets. But like you're you're at this point in free agency where it's like you're not going to get a rotation guy. So if you do like want to still push for like a Royce O'Neal, can you do it? Do you have enough to do it? it that to me is really all that that's left to figure out here. Is are, are there trades to make, mm-hmm. and are there like minimum minimum signings to do? So Royce O'Neal is an interesting name. Um, ditto, I'd say for Dorian Finney-Smith too, even though they're different players, but they do fit a niche of kind of like what the Cavs could use more of. Um, and the Dean Wade contract is a fair argument. Like, is it Dean Wade, Sam Merrill? But I don't know what Brooklyn's really going to do because uh, there's rumors they're going to be the third team in the Dame trade. And, uh, or, just be the, or just be the Dame team. Yeah, like, that's the thing. Or the they Dame are the Dame team, team in the Dame trade. But, like, at least for now, all the indications seem to say he's going to end up with Heat. And, like, the, the Nets would be the team to get Tyler Harrow. And... Like clearly they're building around Mikhail Bridges. Um, they're trying to figure out like the next steps in Brooklyn. Well, they have a bullet. They own like almost all of Phoenix's picks at this point. So shoot, like rock on, guys. But um, if you're able to get like Royce O'Neal, and uh, it's reported like the asking price is a first round pick. Like Cleveland yeah. is yeah. able to do something similar to like what they did with Larry Marketing, where there's a team out there who's willing to give up a first round pick for maybe a guy. That Cavs aren't really viewing as part of the future or something, or maybe a guy that is just isn't going to pan out because of recent signings. Like, yeah, maybe you facilitate that trade, obtain a first round pick, and then flip that first rounder with like Dean Wade's contract. I, I don't think the numbers who, work exactly, yeah, who, but like for well, Royce, who, 
Well, no, you could. Hey, number one, you could do that trade, but it put you in the about at the luxury tax line, and you then then you're like kind of just done with 13 guys. That's kind of a tough place to theoretically be. Secondly, I don't think there's anyone on the Cavs roster they could trade right now to get a first round pick. That's that's the problem. Unless like. I'm trying to think of like, the, the worst. No, there, there's there, not there's, a lot of bad red teams anymore. So that at least yeah, I had first yeah. round picks on hand. Yeah, you're 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 not getting a first round pick. I think for anybody, um, like you you know you call them like just Jason Tate in, in that kind of similar vein. But like these trades are going to be very much on the margins because you have mm-hmm. limited amount of cap space to kind of work with, and and that's tricky. The other the other name that I'm really curious to see what happens is Isaac Okoro. Um, oh yeah, he he yeah, was not, not super really. trusted in play. Trust the yeah. playoffs. So he has a team option for next year. Will be an RFA next summer. I mean, I'm just curious to see if they look to move him this summer and, and what that might look like. I'm curious to see just like we're seeing guys in his draft class, the obvious ones, get extensions. I don't think he's getting an extension this summer. So what does that mean for him? And and where are the Cavs at with him? Are they in a spot where like they're going to try to move on from him and, and get at least something back? And we saw Obi Toppin just get like dumped to the Indiana Pacers for two second round picks. Is that something mm-hmm. Cleveland would do with Okoro? Do they need to hold on for a little bit more value and try to rehabilitate him? And do they still see a role for him? I know he's not like a core guy for this team, but I'm curious to see like where they are at with him. He'd be a salary at 8.9. You could theoretically, you know, try to sell a team on his upside or something if you wanted to get a more veteran player. But that's that's yeah. he'd very much be in the eye of the beholder of another team. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's interesting because the Cavs can extend his qualifying offer. I would assume they would. It's worth like eleven point five billion, though. And you're now staring down the barrel of like, okay, maybe Accord doesn't get any offers, or the Cavs don't come to terms on like some form of an extension. Like, do you feel comfortable as the Cleveland Cavaliers saying, "All right, Isaac, we're gonna play you, pay you eleven point five million dollars next season. You may not be able to produce on the perimeter, but you'll bust your butt on defense." Like. I don't know if that's quite worth it when you're trying to work within the margins financially. And that that's a fair thing. Like, does he end up being a dump in the Cavs get two seconds? And then, like you said, facilitate that for a veteran wing somewhere else. But that's tricky. And we haven't talked about a core a lot just because the Cavs prioritized shooting, as you said, this offseason, just because they didn't trust him at times or at all during the postseason. And the Knicks never gave Isaac Okoro the benefit of the doubt for being completely sagged off on the perimeter either. So. It's uh, it's an interesting situation. I'm curious to see what happens at the Coro. I think we'll maybe have more clarity on the situation either leading up or after the trade deadline. Like if he's still with the Cavs at that point, I'm like, okay, he's maybe getting an extension. Maybe he's doing something different. But that is so many months from now that I don't know because his just his development path has been so weird and clunky at times that I can't fully piece together what he will be for a team that suddenly became a winner uh, his second year in the NBA. Yeah, he's at uh, $8.9 million next season uh, per spot track, which is a little bit more than Evan Mobley in the year three of his rookie deal and about $700,000 more than George Nang. And then he's like $5 million or so below what, what uh, Max Struess is making. So he's kind of like in the middle of this roster, making a small percentage of the cap, but it's a matchable salary if you wanted to, to call in a veteran wing that, that's in that range. You could try. Teams might say no, but you could at least try. All right, let's end there. I'm Chris Manning. That's Evan Daniel. Back at you later this week. Have a great holiday, everyone, and enjoy. Well, hope you had a good holiday, let's say. And uh, everyone, be well. <laughs>